The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. Boom. You're having a dream tonight, and God shows up and says, Whatever you want. One thing, you can't ask for a million wishes, but one thing. What do you want? And he comes to Solomon. He sees what Solomon's heart and says, I'll give you whatever you want. And I hear that and think, man, Solomon must have been doing awesome with God. He must have been loving God and faithful to God and all that. And he certainly is and was, except when you actually read 1 Kings chapter 3, what happened before God shows up in 1 Kings 3, he, we will find some things about, about what's going on in Solomon's life. And, and sometimes you think, well, in order for me to ever get something from God like that where he's going to like really bless me, give me whatever I want. I better have my act completely together. Solomon will tell you that's a bunch of nonsense. You don't have to have your act together. First Kings chapter 3. Solomon, he's the king of Israel. He's the king after his father David has died now. Solomon's the king. Made an alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and married one of his daughters. In the margin of your Bible, you might want to write, might want to write down, uh-oh, he brought her to live in the city of David until he could finish building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around the city. At that time, the people of Israel sacrificed their offerings at local places of worship. In the New Living Translation, that's one we use here, local places of worship, the actual little phrase for that gets, gets they kind of get you the idea of what the meaning of a behind is. The actual word is in the high places. And the reason they called these local places of worship high places is because they were on, thank you, high places. People probably got high there too. Who knows? It was Colorado. Um, <laughs> For a temple honoring the name of the Lord had not yet been built. Solomon loved the Lord and followed all the decrees of his father David, except, I have not marked up in my Bible, except that Solomon too offered sacrifices and burned incense at the local places of worship. Worship. It says the most important places was at Gibeon. The king went there and sacrificed at a thousand burnt offerings. Uh, what we know about Solomon is that he's doing two things that are wrong here. And yet it tells us, you know what God sees? It says, God says, Solomon loved God. That, you know, this is the first time in the Bible that it says, so-and-so loved God. There's so-and-so obeyed God, so-and-so served God, so-and-so feared God. The first person ever identified as Solomon, as somebody who loved God, is Solomon. And so he's got a heart for God, and yet he's doing some things that are dumb and wrong. Uh, the, God had made it very, very clear. We're going to see this in a few minutes here. He said, hey, don't intermarry with the foreigners around you. And he's not saying that because he wants ethnic purity. That's not what it's about. What he's saying is these foreigners around you worship corrupt false gods, and they're going to make a mess out of your life if you're not careful. So if they're going to repudiate their false religion, their, their, their worship of false gods, and come and embrace the one true God, go for it. But if they're not, don't intermarry with them. Uh, this is a little quick side note for those of you that are single right now. If you are finding someone, she's hot or he's hot or cool and amazing, but they don't worship your God yet, stay away until they do. I'm telling you, there's probably 1% of you that will be able to convert that person and bring that person around. You know what happens to the rest of you? You get pulled down. You fall and fade away. So be super careful. The reason God says this, it's going to corrupt your heart and soul, so be careful. This is also, too, that they were sacrificing at these high places. Uh, they would do this, the, the, the cultures around them, 
on these high elevated places. They would put shrines there. They'd put obelisks there. They'd put uh, temples there and, and altars. And they would sacrifice uh, to their false gods. Now, Israel has moved into the promised land to the nation of Israel, but they don't have a temple yet set up. They have the portable tabernacle, and that really is, I don't mean portable anymore. They're trying to get things together. They don't have that yet. So when they would go to worship God, in the, the, the one true God, they would go to the places where they used to worship the Baal gods, the Chemosh gods, the Ashtoreth god, these false gods and goddesses, uh, and did some ter- terrible, despicable things there. Child sacrifices. I know there's children in the house today, so all kinds of very inappropriate kind of stuff going on at these temples and these places of worship. And yet, Israel doesn't know any better. Well, that's the place they do it, so we're going to go there. And when they go there, they're not going there to worship those false gods. They're going, we worship the one true God, the God who led us out of Egypt, split the sea wide open, led us into the promised land. That's the God we're worshiping for a while. And then what happens is little things kind of creep in. It's like, well, you know, we kind of like that. We have these cultures around us. We probably should respect them uh, because the value back then, you know, in our culture today is tolerance. Be tolerant of, of everything. Be open-minded. Don't, repeat, you know, don't make a judgment call on anybody. So they start blending that in too. We're going to find out later on that in doing that, what they were doing at the high places, Solomon's going to build this massive, amazing temple to worship the one true God. And within a couple hundred years, you know what they're doing in the temple? Putting shrines and worship centers to these false gods, not in the high places anymore, in the temple itself. That's why God says, hey, don't do this. And here, Solomon's doing something dumb. Shouldn't be up there doing that. God looked the other way, but because he loved God, which is important for you and me. You sometimes think, well, in order for me to ever really have God answer my prayer, I better get my stuff together. I better have A plus B. Everything has to be all checked off. I have to all lined up. Can I tell you today, this is not true. Solomon, two things, two dumb things he's doing here, and yet God sees his heart, sees that he loves God. He goes, man, I just like that guy because he loves me. He's not doing it right, which means that for you and I, you can have some blind spots in your life, and all of you do. If you think you don't, that's your blind spot. Everybody's got stuff that you're doing. You go, like, you're gonna, you're, in, in about 10 years, you're going to go, what was I thinking? You just didn't see it at the time. So Solomon, Israel has these blind spots right now. God sees his heart, though, and goes, I'm going to look past the, the blind spots. So you don't have to have your act together. You don't have to have it all perfect for, to, to, to be pleasing to God. Now, some of you also need to hear, though. Some of you think, well, if I love God, that means I can just do what I want, right? <laughs> like, here's the deal. Just because God excuses it doesn't mean he endorses it. Just be, Don't mis- ever mistake God's mercy for God's permission. Just because he looks the other way and says, I'm going to let that go, I'm going to bless your life, and okay, there's some stuff you're doing right here, but whatever. He lets that stuff go all the time. Uh, so both of us need to hear, don't make excuses for behavior once, once God points it out that's, that's sick and wrong and foolish. And then don't also think, well, until I get my act together, I can never talk to God about things. So God comes to him and says, hey, Solomon, talk to me, pal. What do you want? And Solomon uh, gives us a quick little pattern, a lesson here on how we can approach God. And, and some of you go, well, okay, praying to God is kind of weird for me. I don't know how to pray. Forget about praying. Forget about praying. Hashtag that out. Tweet that out today. Forget about praying. You know what you need to do instead? Just talk to God. Because sometimes you think, well, I have to get, do the prayer right. I have to say it all right and get it all lined up and use the prayer voice and repeated phrases and words all the time. Forget about that. Just talk to God. 
So Solomon talks to God. God says, what do you want, pal? And Solomon goes, well, and it's interesting because Solomon answers that question different than I would answer it. If God comes to me and says, hey, uh, Steve, what do you want? I got a list. Bam, bam, bam. bam. I'm, I'm ready to go. I got that list locked and loaded right now. Of, of if God comes to me and says, I'll give you whatever you want. And yet Solomon starts off in verse 6 and 7. Crystal just read it for us, but just to remind you, after he's asked, what do you want? He says, God, you showed faithful love to your servant, my father David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And you've continued your faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on the throne. Now, O Lord, my God, you've made me king instead of my father. But I am like a child who doesn't know his way around. And what Solomon's saying here is, God, you're awesome, and I'm not. That's how you should start every conversation with God. God, you're awesome, and I'm not. Solomon goes, I'm way above my pay grade. Remember when you got married and thought you knew how, thought you knew how to do marriage? And about 10 minutes in, you went, uh-oh. I'm, I'm, oh, what am I doing here? And then you had children and thought, oh, we got, kind of got the parenting figured out. And you go, every parent here knows, like, right here, we have... We have children in our house. We feel like we're children raising children when it comes to it because we can't figure this thing out at all. It's crazy. And about the time you think you have it figured out, something happens, and in the middle of you doing country line dancing, they switch to reggae dancing. You got to learn a whole new dance step. It just, it, 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 it just bewildering. He goes, God, I need some help here. God, you're awesome. I know. And then Solomon asks for two big things. He goes, God, I want to know, know and do the right thing. He says, help me, God. Help me know and do the right thing. Because there's things we're going to do in our life where in the pressures of life, when you're sitting at church knowing doing the right thing is kind of, okay, I can figure that out. Sometimes when real life kicks in, students, college students, high school students, knowing and doing the right thing can be tricky sometimes because you're out there in the world going, I don't want to screw up here, God. But So on the obvious stuff, help me get it right. And the reason Solomon has to ask that is because Solomon knows who he is. And knows that just because I know the right thing to do doesn't mean I always do the right thing. So let me know and do the right thing, the obvious stuff. And then he also asks for discernment, for an understanding heart, discernment and, and good judgment and wisdom. And that means this, help me know and do the right thing even when it's not clear and obvious. Because there's sometimes you're going to do some things in your life and the Bible's not going to specifically answer that question. Like, for example... When life throws you something at you, you go, okay, let's move from California to Idaho, or let's move from Canada to California. And you're going to go, okay, so what does God want us to do? Verses on moving from one place to another in the Bible. You're not going to find one. Sometimes it's not, there's, there's, there's some things that are just, when God says it's right and wrong, it's in the book, you don't have to even debate about it, you just got it. But there's sometimes it's not about what's right and wrong, sometimes it's about what's wise and foolish. And there won't be a specific list of things in there. And then sometimes it's not a decision about what's bad versus good, sometimes it's a decision between what's bad and what's best. And that's when you go, God, I need a wise and understanding 
heart here. And you can think about situations in your life with how we invest money. Should we put a pool in our backyard? Should we do a remodel project? Should we send our kids from this school to that school? Should we move out of this development and take money over here and invest it in stock market? I'm telling you, all kinds that will go on in your mind. Like there, you won't find chapter and verse there. You'll go, God, I, I don't know what to do here. Help me. Give me wisdom. And God's going to lay that all out for you. And so he asks God, I don't, I don't want this just for myself to make a name for myself. I want this so I can lead your people well. I want to make sure I, these people that are your precious people who you've entrusted to me, I want to lead them well. And moms and dads, teachers, coaches, leaders, that's your whole deal. Not just so I become better and stronger and richer or you know, smarter or whatever, but these people that are here in my classroom, in my church, in my small group, in my family, I want to do this in a way that honors you and is good and great for them. So I'm curious today, what would you ask for? There's a box there on your note sheet today. What would you ask for if God came to you and said, I hear, what's, you know what God's asking when he says, what would you ask for? He's asking us to get down into our hearts and say, what's most important to you? Not just really important, but what, if you could ask for one thing, what's most important to you? And, and not sure what that answer would be for you today. For some of us, we go like, I know what's most important to me. If you're a parent, you know what it is right now, don't you? It's your kids. Your kids, the stuff going on your kids, your grandkids' life, stuff like that. You want your kids, especially if kids that are like, I, God, I just want them to know and follow you. I can't imagine heaven being a great place if they're not there with me. So God, whatever it takes, just save their soul. Call out to them. It might be things of health and crazy difficult things going with kids in your life. Uh, we have people in our church right now struggling with health kind of issues. And God, just take care of health for me. Take care of health for my children. Take care of health for somebody who's just so precious and important to me. It might be causes that are important to you, like peace right now in the world with all the awful things going on in the world, all over the world. Without taking a political position on that, going, God, it's just, it's bad right now. We need peace on earth. I'm not even sure what the right thing to do this, and everybody has solutions, and the politicians and the armies all going to think they have the right thing to do. God, we just need peace. So you might ask for that. It might be things like abortion, sex trafficking of children, poverty kinds of issues. Those might be kinds of things you put in there. Those things are important. God, if you could just solve that, that would be awesome. But what I want to take some time to do today is not talk so much about what you would want for other people. What do you want if God says, no, 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 assume I'm going to take care of all that. Just for you, Jim. Just for you, Lindsay. Just for you, Mike. What, what do you want that would be just for you? We're going to talk a bit about that again, so don't write anything down there yet because you should take some time and uh, discern that even this week, perhaps. But Solomon then asks for right and wrong and being wise and being a great leader and all that, and God says, yes, I'm going to give you that wisdom you asked for, and since you didn't ask for the things that most people would ask for, which Solomon asked for health and wealth and peace and security, that idea of death of his enemies is not like kill all the evil people out there. It's like God just... Keep the enemies away from us. I want a peaceful kingdom here. We don't have these incursions across our border and difficult, awful things with having to fight wars. And so God says, you ask for all that great stuff, I'm going to give you the stuff you didn't ask for, the stuff that most people would ask for, wealth, riches and fame, he says in verse 13 and 14. But I want you to see this and mark this up in your own Bible here. Look at verse, verse 13. I will give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame, no other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow me 
and obey my decrees and my commands as your father David did, I'll give you a long life. So God makes a promise, an unconditional promise. Solomon, whatever you do, riches and fame are going to be yours. And if there are some promises that God wants to fulfill in your life, but it's not going to be sitting back going, well, God, just lay it on me, pal. Well, God says, if you'll do it my way, great things are going to happen for you. He says, the way I'm going to fulfill that promise to you is not going to be like, okay, if you do the right things, I'll go long life and bestow it on you. The pathway to peace and a long life and all that is going to be doing life the way I lay it out for you, follow my decrees and commands. And what happens with Solomon is he achieves fame and success beyond his wildest dreams. Crazy stuff happens. Solomon becomes the the king of Israel who's the greatest king in terms of border and wealth and prosperity that Israel ever had. Israel reaches the, the pinnacle the, the zenith, the height of its kingdom under the reign of Solomon. Solomon becomes so wise <laughs> that he writes not one book of the Bible, two of them. The book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Solomon writes those books. I'd encourage you, if you're newer at this and checking out Jesus and God and all that, get the Bible out, read, read Proverbs every day. It's, there's 31 chapters in there. Read one a day the rest of your life to match up the day of the, day of the month. So much good stuff in there that Solomon just gets because God puts it on him and the experience that he puts in there, it's, it's so great. He has economic success. He builds an outrageous temple and an unbelievable palace for himself. And we get over to 1 Kings chapter 9. After he's done those things, he's built his palace, he established his kingdom. This Years have gone by now. In chapter 9, Solomon dedicates his temple to God. Go, God, I want to serve you with all my heart. God responds back in chapter 9, verse 4. As for you, Solomon, if you will follow me with your integrity and godliness, as David, your father, did, remember, hear it again, if, obeying all my commands, decrees, and regulations, then I will establish the throne of your dynasty over Israel forever. For I made this promise to your father, David, one of your descendants will always sit on the throne of Israel. But if, but if, but if, you or your descendants abandon me and disobey these commands and decrees I've given you. And if you serve and worship other gods, then I will uproot Israel from this land that I will have given them. I will reject this temple that I've made holy to honor my name. I will make Israel an object of mockery and ridicule among the nations. And though this temple is impressive now, all who pass by will be appalled and will shake their heads in amazement. This is God going, hey, listen to me, pal. It is great for you right now. You can jack this whole thing up if you turn your back on me. They will ask, why did the Lord do such terrible things to this land and to this temple? And their answer will be, because his people abandoned the Lord their God who brought their ancestors out of Egypt and they worshipped other gods instead and bowed down to them. That is why the Lord has brought all these disasters on them. It's like, hey, Solomon, you're great. Be careful. Be careful, guys. I'm telling you right now, we are more tested. Our integrity and our faithfulness to God is more tested by prosperity than it is or ever is by adversity. Adversity, man, has you hanging on by a thread, and God, we're holding on to you, and like whatever's going on, prosperity will be a thing that will just shipwreck you, and it does it over and over and over again. Let's see what all the great things happen with Solomon. Chapter 9, verses 15 to 28, talk about these amazing accomplishments. Read it on your own here. I want you to see this here. As he summarizes, it says, they sailed, verse 28, they sailed to Ophir and brought back to Solomon some 
16 tons of gold. Anybody today know what the price of gold is right now? Somebody did last night. Somebody must be invested in that. $1,900 an ounce. Get your calculator out right now and go, 1,900, how many ounces in a pound? 16, those who paid attention to math. So 1,900 times 16, how many pounds in a ton? 2,000. Do that, you get to about 61 million. You go 61 million or 60,800,000 60, times 16 tons. You know what happens to your calculator? Error. Billions of dollars. And that was just one trip. Solomon, it goes fantastic and beautiful and amazing for him. Uh, look at chapter 10. It kind of lays out there. <laughs> chapter 10, verse 14, you see how amazing it goes for Solomon. He gets crazy wisdom. He's smart. People from all over the world come and consult with him. Verse 14, each year Solomon received about 25 tons of gold. Each year, a billion dollars. And that's not just the gold. That's not all the other stuff he gets. This did not include the additional revenue he received from merchants and traders, all the kings of Arabia and the governors of the land. It says King Solomon made shields out of gold. He made, you guys have at your home, like uh, the stuff you got on your wedding, the special, like the special crystal, the special china you get that never gets used, right? Sits in a shrine closet cabinet somewhere. Nobody ever uses it for anything except for once or twice a year if somebody important comes over, Maybe. This is Solomon's drinking cups. This is the stuff that's in the family room. Gold. All the drinking cups were made out of gold. Um, this he makes an amazing, uh, amazing palace, amazing throne. Look at the end of verse 21. It says, uh, these cups that Solomon made, they were not made of silver, for silver was considered worthless in Solomon's day. Not like copper or Think of something else that's silver. Like there's gold that's like way up here, and then there's silver. Like that's legit stuff here. Uh, there's so much of it, we don't even count it anymore. It's kind of worthless. Verse 23, so King Solomon became richer and wiser than any other king on earth. People from every nation came to consult him and to hear the wisdom God had given him. Year after year, everyone who visited brought him gifts of silver and gold, clothing, Weapons, spices, horses, and mules. It talks about this amazing army that he has. He reaches the height of everything. And if this was a Netflix episode on the life and times of Solomon, and we know it's about an hour long, you'd think, okay, we must be getting to the end of the show now because look at this. God, from here, all these things he's done, he's amazing, powerful. And you hit pause on it and go, wait, there's still 25 minutes left. I thought, isn't this where it's over? Isn't this where it's done? It's not. Chapter 11. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. You know how he did that? Because who knows about Solomon? Maybe he was just crazy, ridiculous, too many hormones, whatever. A lot of times kings back in those days... These were alliances they would make. You would marry with people around you because you know, if you married the daughter, the king of that country is not coming to attack you. So these could have been political alliances too. Solomon insisted, oh, I'm sorry, 
The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel. That means God's going, I didn't stutter about this. That was very, very clear. You must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. You know what Solomon thinks? He's successful. You know what happens when you're successful? You start to think, well, come on, the rules don't apply to me. And you get away with it for a while. God looks past it, you get away with it. I see this happen in churches, in businesses, all over the place where fantastic things are happening. And everybody knows at the senior levels of places that there's all kinds of shenanigans going on there. But nobody wants to confront that or call them out because it's going so great right now. People turn a blind eye to blatant, sinful, stupid, wrong kinds of things. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. It says he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Man, I might turn away from God too. That'd be, that's a, I have enough hard, I have a hard enough time keeping one woman happy. I can't imagine a thousand. <laughs> In Solomon's old days, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God as his father David had been. Solomon worshiped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. In this way, Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to follow the Lord completely as his father David had done. On the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, he even built a pagan shrine for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and another Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. You know, he's built temples all over the place. Now he's building temples for these false gods. Solomon built such shrines for all his foreign wives to use for burning incense and sacrificing to their gods. The Lord was very angry with Solomon for his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. He had warned Solomon specifically about worshiping other gods, but Solomon did not listen to the Lord's command. So now the Lord said to him, since you've not kept my covenant and have disobeyed my decrees, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your servants. And he goes on to say, but not in your lifetime. It's going to happen later. But what you've done here you set a trajectory here with allowing these false gods and goddesses in here, and it's going to turn the whole nation here. It's going to be a hot mess and a disaster. Most of the time, we don't fall away from God. We fade away. Write this down today. Fading away is more dangerous than falling away. Fading away is more dangerous than falling away. Falling away is when you do some catastrophic, stupid wrong. Like, I don't know, David, his father, had done. He keeps saying here, David followed me with all his heart and soul. I'm going, but have you read the book? Some of you know the story of David, right? He's a great king, but... Okay, so Solomon worships some false gods. Did Solomon ever commit adultery with one of his best friend's wives and then conspire to have that best friend murdered on the battlefield? Solomon, so compared to David, <laughs> Solomon was probably thinking, well, what's so bad about that? At least I'm not killing people and committing adultery. And yet here's the dangerous part about it is when you stumble and fall and you crash and burn, it's much easier to bounce back from that than it is to just gradually, slowly, but surely walk away one step at a time and fade and fade and fade and fade. You've heard the story of the frog and the kettle, right? Some of you haven't heard it, those of you who didn't pay attention in school. You could take, a, you could take boiling water on a stove, boil it up, get a frog, a bad evil frog, not a nice frog, a bad evil frog. <laughs> and you take that frog and you go and put it in the water. You know what the frog's going to do? 
and bounce out, will not stay in there. And yet that same frog who would fall and come out of here, that was bad, stupid, dumb, wrong. You put that frog in the water at room temperature, turn the heat up on it. You know what that frog will do? The backstroke. And the frog will boil to death. Fading away is far more dangerous than falling away because it feels like, come on, it's not that bad. And you can look around at your life and go, but look how good my life's going right now. And compared to some other people I know, <laughs> some important lessons from Solomon's life today about how we talk to God and just be honest about what we want. And then recognize the dangers of achieving your wildest dreams. That maybe, maybe the reason I don't have more money or better this or better that is because God knows, Steve, if I gave that to you, I know what you'd do. Okay, oh no, okay, here's, the, here's the thing we think. I, I know what's going on in your heads right now. Oh, not me. I'd, I'd be different. I'd be more careful. Everybody thinks that. And you might. I wonder though, what's in your box? Getting back to that box on your sheet today. And again, just for you, not for anybody else. I don't know what it is today. Perhaps it's, for, you have money problems right now. You think, man, financial freedom. It'd be so great to have some debts paid off, have some money in the bank. And I'm not talking about winning the lottery necessarily, but God, just to get to a place of not just hanging on by a thread all the time. Maybe it's uh, for if you're single or single again, you go, I just want, you see people that are happily married, or at least they seem that way at church. <laughs> you think, I just want that. I would love to have a man or woman in my life. I got, I'm not. And you're just, there's this desperate craving in your soul for that. And you just want that so bad. Go, God, okay, so one thing, just give me a man. Give me a woman that would just love me and be a great, a godly man or woman. Maybe it's um, you got that person and you married that person and you went, that dream? Uh-oh. <laughs> Some stuff happened there. Life happened. Maybe that dream turned to a nightmare for a while. You go, God, can you turn it around? We sing that song, God, I believe you can turn this around. So turn this around. Get, grab, grab my husband's heart again. Grab my wife's heart again. Do that. Maybe it's for, for things like that. Maybe it's, uh, you ever done this? You've done something stupid or wrong? Maybe nobody here because you're at church on Sunday. Not like the people who ditched and are staying home and watch football games right now. But you guys are probably good. So this is about other people, not you right now. You've done something stupid or wrong, and you do this with God. Okay, God, I swear. I know I screwed up, but I swear. I swear, if you'll just get me out of this, I will never, boom, boom, I will go to Africa and dig wells in Africa. I will go to India. I will go, you swear, 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 God, just get me out of this mess. Thank God, because it's, it's some of your messes that you're in, it's like, it's awful. God, I swear, I'll never do it again. Just rescue me from this. God, there's stories right now of people in our church of healing who are really struggling with stuff. And there's people here, I'm not going to call them out. I think some of them are even here today. I don't want to embarrass anybody. It's one thing to get sick and suffer when you're older, and nobody wants it. You want to pray, God, I don't want to get sick and suffer. What's just awful is when it's you're 25, 28, 30 years old, and there's cancer, and you've done all the treatment you can do. It's not going to get any better. There's a young lady at our church years ago. Her name's Nicole. She was married to Vincent, and she got cancer. And we prayed like crazy and laid hands on her and did all the medicine and everything. 
And it finally got to the point where she's not going to make it, but they did this wedding uh, vow renewal kind of thing uh, at an outdoor venue right here in town. And she could barely, barely stand up and walk. It was, it was so heartbreaking to watch. And to watch this man who loved her with all of his heart and soul go, I'm going to lose her. And yet at that thing, she could barely speak. The one thing she said is this. I would rather know I was going to join Jesus in heaven than to be healed right now. And I, look, guys, I get that. I could say that right now because I'm not sick right now. Imagine that for her, you know what she says is, I'd rather have Jesus than anything. I'd rather have Jesus than anything. And I'm telling you right now, I don't know what your answer is going to be in that blank today because I'm not sure God's going to come to you at a dream tonight and ask you. But the, the question is an important one for us. What's the most important thing to me? Because how you answer that question will determine the course of your life. Why Solomon in the book of Proverbs says, above all else, guard your heart. You know what he's saying there? Make sure whatever is the center of your life is worth it. Because you can send your life around a lot of different things and not even always bad things. Sometimes really good things, but they're not God. He says it's going it's to make a mess out of things. You'll keep chasing it and chasing it and chasing it. Solomon writes the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, I chased it and chased it and chased it. You know what it was? Whew, chasing the wind. It makes you crazy to chase the wind. A guy named Bob Buford is a um, famous guy from Texas. None of you probably know who that guy is. I read his book years ago. He's a multimillionaire, probably a billionaire. Uh, had done crazy things, made all this money. Strong Christian. Made all this money, got to a point in his life thinking, okay, do I keep expanding the company? Do we move into that field? Do we expand here? Do we sell off this division? Do we bring, buy out this company to minimize competition? So business and all that. And yet he had some dreams he had that God put in his heart for making a difference in the world, doing some significant things with those dollars. And he wasn't quite sure because what do I do here? He brought in at, this, at that point, this is probably 25 years ago, the leading business consultant in the world. The guy's not a Christian. In fact, the guy confesses himself to be an atheist. But he brings him in because he's high-priced and he knows what he's doing. And he hears Bob talk about stuff. And on that piece of paper, on the placemat, sitting there at the restaurant where they're at, he did what I did on your note sheet today. He drew a box. He says, Bob, tell me what's in that box. And then I'll tell you about whether you should sell your company or expand your company or retire right now. Or get another vice president. I can tell you right there, you what's in that box? Not a Christian, but he understood whatever's in that box will determine the course of your life. What matters most? Everything else revolves around that. And I know the tricky part for something like this, okay, so 100% devotion to God some way to say that, to be fully devoted to God for my whole life. And yet, but I got some things too, God. So, so what if it was like a 5% less of you? I still got 95% of you. I'm 95% devoted to you and have 95% of your presence and your power and your, the, the words of the Bible, like the anointing on my life. I, I, I had 100%. 
I'll sell off 5% to get some amazing thing happen. And I want to just stop preaching and teaching for a bit here and just sit down and chat with you for a bit. Because for me, in the last several months, this has been a question been running around in my head and my mind. Some things for my family, some things for this church that we started 20 years ago. Thinking, where are we at? What do we need? How can we move forward? All that kind of stuff. And some very fascinating, amazing options have come up in the last three or four years. And yet walking around one night, uh, probably a couple months ago, when one of these possibilities seemed like, that could be really awesome, fantastic. I had this moment, I thought, okay, what if I had to give up 5% of God? So not, not shipwreck my face, 95%. I had a moment there and I thought, God, I don't want it. If it meant a 5% drop of you and your presence in my life, I don't want it. I don't worry all that stuff's going to go just yet. We had a thing uh, a few years ago, even here. A guy who helped me start the church years and years ago, wealthy guy, like crazy wealthy, crazy wealthy, turned these companies around, made a bunch of money, and he told me, he said, Steve, I'm selling this company that I bought, and when that happens... Crosspoint's going to get close to a million dollars. It's like, dang, that's awesome. And then it went on for a long time and finally got a place where it sold. And he, he uh, told me, hey, Steve, the week of here in June, it's going to come. It'll be, you know, come pick up the cashier's check or the whatever wire transfer, all that kind of stuff. And I took a walk out here on Del Rio Road, back behind the church back here one day. And I had this moment, I remember this thing with Solomon. I said, okay, God, that would be awesome for our church. But if it comes down to it, if it comes down to it, if it's a choice of a million dollars or 1,000 more percent of your power and presence and your anointing on our church, I want that. You can keep the million dollars. You know what happened two days later? The business deal fell through. I went, dang it, God was listening to me. <laughs> and I think God was going, okay, did you mean that? That's easy to say when the check is in the mail. What's crazy, he called me and said, hey, Steve, it's probably not even going to happen. You probably just get used to the fact that it's just probably not going to happen. I don't know what's going on here. Now, the good news is, about a year, year and a half later, in the middle of COVID, uh, some things happened. The company sold and a big, big, big bunch of that came to us. But it was just a moment where I thought, what God's looking for is people whose hearts are 100% devoted to him. And he says, look, if I didn't give you anything else, if I didn't give you anything else, and I see it's happened so often. This whole idea of God gives us stuff and we get the blessings. We're going to sing a song today called Nothing Else. And one of the lines in it says this, Jesus, I'm not here for blessing. You don't owe me anything. More than anything that you can do, I just, want you. And guys, I want the, the prayer of my heart, I want that prayer of your heart, and not like, okay, i got to kiss up to God so I can get cash and prizes. No, to be like, God, if you don't give me anything else, because here's what's beautiful about that. Guys, what you'll discover when you start to experience the power and the presence of how amazing God is, you can go keep your freaking million dollars. Jesus is way better, way more amazing, because you can get all the money. I know all kinds of rich people who are like, they're not happy. There's no peace there. They got fame and power and prestige and all that kind of stuff. 
And for me, what's in my box right now, this shouldn't be what's in your box necessarily. But having seen Christians, famous people, celebrity pastors, who were like following God and fervently devoted to God, and watch what they did when they crashed and burned things and they faded away and they fell away. God, I never want them to be me. I never want them to be not some self-righteous thing. I want to be better than them. But I thought of this, and I thought too, I've seen this happen to people I know even. People for years now, having been a pastor now for a lot of years, seeing people fervently devoted to God. At one point, so on fire for God, just going for it with God. And usually this is when they, they first became Christians or they're married with kids, take our kids to church, on fire for God, we're doing it, doing it. You know what happens when they get to a certain point? Their 401k is funded and the kids are off to college and life is good? Retirement. And not retirement from your job, retirement from God. They just fade. And the fervent prayer of my heart, guys, is I want to be more devoted. To, I'm going to turn 62 next year. 62 next year. I want to be more devoted, more in fire for God at 62 than I was at 52 and 42. I want to be, when I, when I get to 72, and that doesn't mean I'm going to be a pastor my whole life. My wife's going, please, at some point you have to stop doing this. But <laughs> I, want to be, I want to be more zealous, more on fire, more devoted to God. Because I don't want to just get to a point and go, okay, I'm going to just coast it in now. And co- I want to be just kicking butt, taking names, the engine revving up and going for it, whatever God calls me to do. Our band's going to come up right now. I'll give you a chance to, to, to think about this. You may have some things going on in your life today. You might need prayer for something. Maybe some of those things we go, difficult things going on in your life right now. You may need some prayer. Where you're going, God, I hear some things I need. God's not saying today, don't ask me about those things. He says, come to me with everything you have. Just make sure your heart's right. Your heart's centered on me. Our prayer team is at the back of the house today. And they'll come and pray with you about the challenges, the difficult things that are going on in your heart, soul, health, finances, whatever that might be. We're going to sing some great songs. And these songs are, I think they knew what I was talking about or God just spoke to their hearts because these songs are amazing. They just, they just, they're all about what it means to God having my whole heart that nothing else, to quote the guys from Metallica, nothing else matters. Um, three of you got that. Um, and then we have communion available today. Communion is bread and juice that symbolizes the body and blood of Jesus when he was crucified. And what I love about who Jesus is, how much he loves us, that song we're going to sing more than anything else, God, we just want you. You know what God said to us 2,000 years ago? More than anything else, I just want you. And I will do whatever it takes to get you. And so, Jesus, we come to you today. We got things in our heart and soul, so we're going to be honest about that. But we're not here for blessing. You don't owe us anything more than anything that you can do. God, we just want you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.